What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and overpolicing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Richard! Richard! Oh, are we on? Welcome to the Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. And welcome to Radio Free Canada. News, notes, and opinions from the underground for Wednesday, Jan 19th, 2022. Just a reminder, this is World Headquarters for Toxic Masculinity and the Patriarchy. So uh, in much of the world, the COVID narrative is in complete collapse. And like rats escaping a sinking ship, there are some in the ruling class or in uh, public health that are making incredible, painful, and obviously feeble attempts to switch teams in the dying minutes of the fourth quarter. It's too late. They're not fooling anybody. We'll remember who said what and who did what after COVID is over and done with and the history books are written. Now, here's British Prime Minister Boris Johnson proving that this has never been about our health. It's been about politics. And while this is welcome news, make no mistake, this is he's trying to protect his, uh, he's trying desperately to protect his political life here. He's, um, 
he's under tremendous pressure to step aside from the conservative caucus after being caught several times partying in close quarters with staffers without a mask. Johnson made this stunning announcement in the uh, British Parliament today. We can return to Plan A in England and allow Plan B regulations to expire. As a result, from the start of Thursday next week, mandatory certification will end. Organisations can, of course, choose to use the NHS COVID pass voluntarily, but we will end the compulsory use of COVID status certification in England. From now on, the government is no longer asking people to work from home. And people should now speak to their employers about arrangements for returning to the office. And having looked at the data carefully, the Cabinet concluded that once regulations lapse, the government will no longer mandate the wearing of face masks anywhere. Mr Speaker, Mr. Speaker, from, from, tomorrow, from tomorrow, we will no longer require face masks in classrooms and the, Department, and the Department for Education will shortly remove national guidance on their use in communal areas. In the country at large, we will continue to suggest the use of face coverings in enclosed or crowded spaces, particularly when you come into contact with people you don't normally meet. But we will trust the judgment of the British people criminalise anyone who chooses not to wear one. The government will also ease restrictions further on visits to care homes and my right honourable friend the Secretary of State for Health and Social Care will set out plans in the coming days. Mr Speaker, as we return to Plan A, the House will know that some measures still remain, including those on self-isolation. There you go. It's over. COVID is over in the UK. And of course, it should be over here in Canada as well. Here in Ontario, or as I like to call it, the land that time forgot, our hapless health minister is clinging to the same old tired talking points from March 2020. While the the house of cards is coming down all around her, she has this to say. I want to respond to some extremely concerning reports that some doctors are spreading misinformation about vaccines. At a time when it's never been more important for Ontarians to have confidence in the safety and effectiveness of vaccines, this is unacceptable. I will be sending a letter to the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Ontario urging them to do everything that is possible to put an end to this behaviour. They should consider all options in doing so, including reviewing the licences of physicians found to be spreading misinformation. At a time when... All right, that's uh, our hapless health minister, Christine Elliott. Or as Ezra Levant called her today at Rebel News, the Minister of Truth. That's what she thinks she is. The Minister of Truth. So she's going to sick the College of Physicians and Surgeons on anyone who gets out of line. Take away their license. Is she going to sick the college on the CEO of Pfizer who's telling us the first two doses of the vaccine offer no protection against the Omicron variant? Is the Minister of Truth going to sick the College of Physicians and Surgeons on the EU drug regulators 
who say offering boosters to the world is not feasible and could be dangerous? Is she going to sick the College of Physicians and Surgeons on one of Israel's top immunologists who says natural immunity is better? Is this a kind of disinfo you're talking about, Minister of Truth, Christine Elliott? Again, March 2020 called, and they want their lame, tired talking points back. You sound ridiculous. Resign. Meanwhile, uh, in other news, Vladimir Putin appears willing to risk all and risk all out war in Europe in order to prevent Ukraine from joining NATO. Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis, U.S. Army retired, will be here in the later stages of hour two to provide some analysis. Anyone who pays attention knows, again, the entire narrative, the entire logic or rationale for vax mandates has completely disintegrated some time ago. Everyone knows the vaccinated can still spread COVID just as easily as the vaccine free. Everyone knows, some pretend they don't know, that natural immunity from a prior infection is real. Yet there are still yahoos. That's right. I'm going to use Chairman Ford's term and turn it around. The real yahoos are the fascistic, science-denying yahoos who want to ignore the basic fundamental charter rights of bodily autonomy, who want to dehumanize people who assert their God-given right to bodily autonomy. These yahoos want to deny the vaccine-free access to health care. They haven't really thought it through, though. But Alex Vezina has. He's a CEO Uh, Also, uh, I believe, teaches at York University, and he wrote an interesting column in the Toronto Sun yesterday. He writes, think about what denying health care to the unvaccinated means. Alex will be here in hour two. Wednesdays, we take the climate change cultists head on, head on. Did you know where the blades for all the millions and millions of giant wind wind turbines come from? Many of them, they're made from balsa wood and they come from the Amazon. They're clear cutting the Amazon to make wind turbine blades. Not very environmentally friendly, are they? And also an interesting study, a climate change bombshell, if you will, more than 500,000 lives, a half million lives have been saved in England or Great Britain, thanks to Britain's mild winters of late. Tony Heller, the founder of realclimatescience.com, will be here later this hour. Yesterday, I played a clip from a minority owner of the NBA's Golden State Warriors. He's a uh, Silicon Valley billionaire, and I think he's about a 10% owner in the Golden State Warriors. That's his new toy. He was on a podcast where he callously said he basically could care less about the plight of the Uyghurs. This is the tiny Muslim minority in China that are being shoved into concentration camps, sterilized, used as slave labor to make products we all use and enjoy here in the West. Now, players in the Golden State Warriors appear to have a conscience. They're distancing themselves from this creep. Uh, But the NBA has remained pretty much silent because they care about their bottom line. And that means they care about the $5 billion worth of business with communist China. I'll speak with the project manager with the Uyghur Rights Advocacy Project uh, in Ottawa about that. Now, I don't like the premier of New Brunswick. 
I think he and his cabinet have behaved appallingly during COVID. And one day, hopefully, they'll all be held accountable for their words and actions. But in the meantime, I guess to their credit, they have managed to keep their spending in check during the pandemic. I don't know if that's a little like saying, other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play? But they have managed to keep their spending in check. In fact, the province of New Brunswick is in the black. Now compare and contrast that with Ontario. With a forecasted deficit for this year of $21.5 billion. That's the second largest deficit in our province's history proving that responding to the pandemic doesn't have to mean a mountain of debt. Jay Goldberg is the Ontario Director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, and he'll be next with that story. The Richard Serrett Show, off and running for Wednesday, Jan 19th, 2022. Keep your stick on the ice. We're back as The Richard Serrett Show continues on News Talk, Saga 960 AM. Let me crib here from the latest press release from our uh, good friends of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. As Ontario Premier Doug Ford continues to drive the province speeding toward the edge of a gigantic, gigantic debt cliff, New Brunswick Premier Blaine Higgs is showing taxpayers that governments can t- tap the brakes on spending while still dealing with a pandemic. The contrast between the two premiers is stark. Jay Goldberg is the Ontario Director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. He joins us now. Jay, how are you? Doing very well. How are you? Terrific. So let's uh, contrast and compare uh, Ford's Ontario with Higgs, New Brunswick. Go ahead. So it's quite interesting, actually. You've got two progressive conservative premiers here who both ran for office uh, promising to fix the finances in their provinces. And of course, while every province has faced the pandemic uh, in a different way, perhaps it's been more extreme here in in Ontario than uh, in New Brunswick, it's really a study of contrast here, as you said. What's interesting is that in both provinces, healthcare spending has gone up on average over the past two years by 4.8%. It's almost exactly the same in New Brunswick and Ontario. The difference is for non-health spending, In New Brunswick, they've increased it by 3.1% per year, which is roughly in line with inflation. In Ontario, we've increased our non-healthcare spending by staggering 7.2% per year. So that's 14.4% over two years. And so what that tells you is that actually the Ford government has increased spending more on non-healthcare items than healthcare items. And that Higgs in New Brunswick is very targeted at where they're trying to spend and they're focusing on the health part of this crisis. And are you able to break it down when you say non-healthcare spending? Would that include, uh, you know, things like you know bailouts to, uh, to to small businesses and so forth, uh, dealing with COVID restrictions and lockdowns and so forth? Yeah, so some of it would uh, deal with bailouts, absolutely, as uh, a factor. Um, with respect to dealing with the pandemic. But I think it's also important to point out that all provinces across Canada have faced closures at some point. All provinces have had lockdowns. That includes New Brunswick. So even if uh, Ford's figure is looking a little high because they've given uh, aid to businesses, uh, New Brunswick too. And so that's not really the 
full explanation for how spending has gotten so out of control in Ontario. Right. So had Ford held non-healthcare spending to roughly the rate of inflation or matched New Brunswick spending in that area, 3.1%, what would our, our deficit be looking like right now? So instead of a $21.5 billion deficit, you'd be looking at a $12.5 billion deficit. So that's $9 billion in terms of deficit improvement. Uh, and as I note in the article, uh, with $9 billion, you could build seven brand new state-of-the-art hospitals all across the province of Ontario. We could cut taxes. Uh, we could give much needed relief to people all across the province. But instead of that, uh, we're looking at extremely high government spending, and we're seeing government spending up across the board, whether it's in infrastructure, transportation, literally every sector possible, spending is up. There's not one part of government here in Ontario where spending has gone down over the past two years. We've got a debt cliff we're coming up on. We're more than $400 billion in debt. We're spending more than a billion dollars a month on debt interest, and so we're saying it's time for Doug Ford to take some lessons from other provinces and get his house in order. And uh, very likely we're going to look at, we're going to be seeing interest rates start to creep up. I mean, what is that going to do uh, in terms of servicing the debt, Jay? That's going to have an enormous impact. We already spend over a billion dollars a month on debt, debt interest. That's more than we spend in Ontario on post-secondary education. So for those who say that deficits aren't a real concern. Well, all the deficits we've racked up over the years, it's already costing us a billion dollars a month with debt, with interest rates, as you said, at low levels now. We're looking at interest rate hikes over the next year or two that could be rather significant. And so we could go from spending a billion dollars a month to a billion and a half dollars a month. Uh, and that's going to have a huge impact on our bottom line. And that's going to mean fewer services or higher taxes. Well, I guess our so-called conservative premier uh, subscribes to this uh, modern monetary theory, right? Where you can just print money, print money until all the wheels come off. Um, it doesn't seem to matter. Um, what did New Brunswick do? I mean, how did they how did they get it right specifically? Well, what they did was focus spending increases on health care. And yes, there were some supports to businesses, but most importantly, in New Brunswick, they recognized, uh, you know, we've got to tighten our belts in other ministries. And so if you look at uh, transportation ministries or infrastructure ministries, uh, or you look at post-secondary education funding, all of this was kept very close to the line of inflation. Um, Blaine Hanks was very deliberate, the premier there about saying if we're going to increase healthcare spending, then we have to make compromises somewhere else. And as you said, Doug Ford's answer seems to be we can increase spending everywhere. And even if we're increasing spending on health, we don't really have to worry about increasing spending in other areas because we can borrow indefinitely. And this modern monetary theory is really uh, proving to be quite uh, disastrous, really, because what we're seeing as a result of years of borrowing money, billions and billions of dollars, is inflation. We've got numbers out today that are showing we have the highest inflation numbers in decades in Canada right now, almost 5%. That's a tax on the most vulnerable. It's hard on our seniors with fixed incomes. And this is all a result of constant government borrowing. And it's time for Doug Ford and Justin Trudeau to recognize that all of this unlimited government spending and this unlimited borrowing is actually hurting Canadians and hurting Ontarians 
you're taking away their buying power. I think that's it's falling on deaf ears. I don't. I honestly don't think they care, Jay. I really don't. I think um, this may sound you know sinister, but I think in large me- measure this is by design. They they couldn't do a better job of wrecking our economy if they tried to. And so, what else am I to conclude? I think they're trying to. Don't ask me why. I, I haven't figured that out yet. But uh, uh, again, they couldn't do a better job of destroying this country's uh, wealth and economy if they sat down and actually tried to sketch it out on how to do it. Jay, always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Jay Goldberg, Ontario Director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. All right. The minority owner of the NBA's Golden State Warriors says he doesn't care about the Uyghurs. The the NBA's silence on this issue is deafening, and it just proves... It's less interested in human rights than maintaining a profitable relationship with communist China. So what do Canadian Uyghurs make of all this? We'll find out in three minutes. Let's get back at it on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. It's the Richard Serrett Show. Yeah, nobody cares about what's happening to the Uyghurs, okay? You, you bring it up because you really what? care. And I think what that's you nice nobody that you cares? care. The rest of us don't care. I'm just well, telling you a very care? hard. Wait, wait, I'm you're telling you, you personally very, don't care. I'm telling you a very hard, ugly truth. Okay, of all the things that I care about, yes, it is below my line. Okay, oh, of all the things that I care about, it is below my line. Disappointing. Well, we. I think people, if you if you explain to them what's happening to the Uyghurs in China, they care, but it's not top of mind for them. That's not what's caring. top of mind right now. Is they go to the grocery store and, and the shelves are empty. Sure, that I care yeah. about. Yeah. I, I care about the fact that our economy could turn on a dime if China invades Taiwan. I care about that. I care about climate change. You know, I care about a bunch of, I care about America's crippling and, you know, decrepit in healthcare infrastructure. But if you're asking me, that, do I care about a segment of a class of people in another country? Not until we can take care of ourselves, will I prioritize them over us? And I think a lot of people believe that. And I'm sorry if that's a hard truth to hear. But every time I, I say that I care about the Uyghurs, I'm really just lying if I don't really care. And so I'd rather not lie to you and tell you the truth. It's not a priority for me. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. What a callous creep. And the NBA virtually silent. Now, there are some uh, players on the Golden State Warriors who have, who have a conscience and are distancing themselves from this radioactive piece of crap. Uh, but again, the NBA silent. Why? Well, it's pretty obvious. They have a very cozy relationship with communist China. They do about $5 billion worth of business. That's why King LeBron rushes to their defense 
He knows which side of the bread is, is buttered. It's absolutely disgraceful. Imagine in 1942, and we knew what was happening in Germany after the Wannsee Conference, where the Nazis concocted the, uh, the plan for the final solution. And someone who knew what was happening, the Jews were being rounded up, forced into cattle cars, taken to death camps. Imagine if someone said on the radio, well, I really don't care. It's, it's below the line. I'm really not interested. Inexcusable. Kayu Mazimov is a project manager with the Uyghur Rights Advocacy Project. Kayum, welcome to the program. How are you? I'm okay. Thank you for having me. Let me get your response when you heard uh, those comments from this this creep with the uh, Golden State Warriors. Well, I guess I have to commend this gentleman for being frank. At least he's frank, you know. Uh, he's what he's saying what many other things, you know. So it is disgusting, but not surprising. You know, this uh, stand of like we we see where the money, money talks. So we see where the priorities are. And and what about the silence from the NBA? Uh, is in your estimation, is that as you say, he's being he's being frank, I suppose. Yes, he's being honest. Although that doesn't excuse anything. No, um, it does not. But but the NBA is being virtually silent about this. Well, I'd like to come from the uh, different angle. You know, the uh, the um, Olympic Committee of China warned today that those who, athletes who would be speaking up. Uh, during the Olympic Games will be punished. Uh, can you imagine that? I mean, they openly threatening athletes not to speak up on human rights issues. This is open threat uh, posed by host country of China. Um, there are two aspects to his conversation to hold this uh, Uyghur issue. Uh, one is moral issue and, you know, uh, being on the right side of the history. Uh, but at the end line, it's, I think it is up to us, the Canadians, as a, like the regular guys who go to the shopping mall and buy made in China products, you know, it's come to the point that we, we are voting with our own pocket money and subsidizing the ongoing genocide. And we talk about slave labor camps where millions and millions innocent people work for, for free as slaves, you know, and, uh, you know, including probably my family members who might lost contact with. And, you know, we're talking about population decimated all over uh, China in internal plants, and they work for Western brand companies like my, like Nike, Apple, uh, Zara, you know, producing all these products we are ending up consuming and paying for it with our money. So it comes to the point that we have to vote and make our consciousness uh, conscious uh, choice, not subsidizing it. And it's up to our customers to demand our businesses to respond and act uh, ethically, including this gentleman who's been saying that he does not care about Uyghurs. He, I think he will start caring when his business interests will be uh, like start hurting, you know, when the uh, consumers will take a choice, make a choice and they you know, uh, will not consume products in any way associated with his business would not would stop cease attending his um, basketball parties, you know, games, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. 
Are you, is so, there, to your knowledge, yes. is there a, is there a website like a one-stop shopping place where we could go and find out a list of the products that are being likely manufactured by Uyghur slave labor? Where can we go to find that so that we can say, all right, I'm not buying any of these products. Well, I would refer to the uh, U.S. Committee, uh, U.S. Senate. You know, they came out with Uyghur prohibition, uh, Uyghur slave force prohibition bill. Uh, both Senates, they passed this law. It's, it came into law right now. So uh, any product made uh, coming from Uyghur region of People's Republic of China is by association tainted by accusation of uh, Uyghur slave uh, force. Uh, you know, I'll, 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 come, I'll give you some statistics on it. Uh, probably it will uh, uh, better, you will be better understand the, com the comprehensive picture. Just have about a minute here. I'm already late, but I want I, this is important. So go ahead. Okay, sure. So one in five cotton garments in the global apparel market are tainted by forced labor coming from Uyghur region. One in 45, five. Yeah, 45% of the world solar grade polysilicon, the one is used in solar panels, come from, uh, come from Uyghur region. 17 plus global industries from agriculture to toys are implicated in Uyghur forced labor. These are just statistics. So if you're buying stuff in or made in China, pay particular attention. Uh, and there are many like big, 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 big possibility that it's been made by slaves in this market. That okay, this, is why, this is why they say so cheap, they dirt, dirt cheap. Kayum, I appreciate your time. We'll, uh, we'll have you back on and discuss further. Thank you so You're much. You're welcome. Thank you. Kayum Mazimov, Project Manager, Uyghur Rights Advocacy Project. All right, when we come back, we'll push back against the climate change cultists. Tony Heller stay, is uh, next. Stay with us. You're listening to The Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga, 960 AM. Welcome back. Wednesdays. We push back against the cult of climate change. Tony Heller is the founder of realclimatescience.com. Tony, welcome back. How are you, my friend? I'm good, Richard. How about yourself? Terrific. Uh, found this article. Uh, the website is called stopthesethings.com. Stopathesethings.com. They're referring to wind turbines. Billions of wind turbine blades, billions, are built with balsa wood stripped from Amazon's forests. Did you know about this? Um, yeah, I've been reading about that. It's just one of many things that are very wrong with wind farms environmentally. Um, they're, they're extremely destructive at, at many levels. Um, in Australia, there's been a lot of anger by people who formerly supported green energy once they saw what it was actually done to the wilderness. Um, which was destroyed by putting in these giant wind turbines with these massive concrete foundations, the roads that go in. Um, it, it's, a, it's all driven by this irrational fear of carbon dioxide. And people are willing, have been willing to sacrifice all sorts of things, which they traditionally valued wilderness, the quality of the environment, keeping the roads out of the wilderness, um, you know, avoiding industrial messes because of this completely irrational fear of carbon dioxide which has been created. You know, like the balsa wood thing is one example of it. They're, they're making a huge mess all over the world by building these ridiculous wind farms. Right. And I mean, they're not reliable. Right, we go after yeah, the- Yeah, they're not reliable. Right, we, we yeah. go after the beef industry and, and uh, McDonald's, for example, because 
you know, the in the Amazon and elsewhere, they're clearing, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of uh, acres of timber to make way for cattle, cattle ranches. Yeah. Uh, and yet here we have these wind turbines. Not only are you clearing forests to make room for the wind farm, then in another part of the world, you're clearing forests to produce the blades for the wind turbines. It's a double whammy. Right. Yeah. And, you know, when they clear forests for grazing, um, you know, they're, they're not actually doing any permanent damage to the land. It's just they cut the trees down, and then later the trees will grow back. But when you put in a wind farm, they're putting huge amounts of concrete in these giant structures in the ground, which are not going to go away. No, nobody's going to pay for these to be removed. You know, they're leaving a huge environmental mess for future generations after these things wear out after 20 years. So, so there's so many different environmental issues with what they're doing. It's it's pretty frightening. Yeah, it's, it's a, I've been an, go ahead. Yeah, I said I've been a, I've been an environmentalist, you know, an active environmentalist for the past fifty years, more than the past fifty years, and um, it's just very disturbing to see how the whole environmental movement was co-opted by people pushing the sphere of carbon dioxide. You know, dams used to be you know, hydroelectric power used to be enemy number one for the environmental movement after Lake Powell, after Glen Canyon was flooded to build Lake Powell. And then all of a sudden, hydroelectric became green energy um, over the sphere of carbon dioxide. Nobody would have put up with these wind farms 40 years ago. They would have been absolutely outraged. But once again, the sphere of carbon dioxide caused the environmental movement to lose their mind, their collective minds, and their souls as well. Right. It's um, it's a real green paradox, if you will, deforesting the Amazon, particularly in places like Ecuador, where a lot of this balsa wood comes from, deforesting the Amazon uh, for wind energy uh, in the northern hemisphere, places like Europe and, and here in North America. I'm just reading here, balsa wood, yeah. balsa wood used in Europe and also more intensively in China as a component in the construction of the blades of wind turbines, already installed wind turbines with blades that stretch to 80 meters can cover an area of approximately, get this, 21,000 square meters, which is equivalent to about three football pitches. That's for one wind turbine, three football pitches. Right. It's unbelievable. And and they, they kill huge numbers of raptors, like eagles and hawks. Um, and they're, they're a complete mess environmentally. And they're not reliable. You know, they, if you can't rely on wind because it, when the wind's not blowing, there's no electricity. And you can't just shut civilization down for four or five days because the wind's not blowing. So the, the whole case for these things is pretty hideous. Right, right. And these, um, these blades, they weigh between 12 and 18 tons each, a veritable cocktail of toxic plastics, fiberglass, and composite materials all inevitably headed for the landfill. Tony, we'll uh, come back. I want to talk to you about this. Uh, it's kind of a climate change bombshell about the number of lives saved due to Britain's mild winters. Tony Heller, the founder of realclimatescience.com, stays with us as we push back against the cult of climate change. Stay with us. Back to the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. 
we are back with Tony Heller, the founder at realclimatescience.com, realclimatescience.com. Check out his uh, videos. Some still on uh, YouTube, although many have been uh, taken down. And uh, you can also find his videos at BitChute. And um, he'll tell you um, a little bit later where you can see them as well. Tony Heller, H-E-L-L-E-R, who joins us every Wednesday at this time. So this is a bit of a climate change bombshell, Tony. This is being reported in the UK's newspaper, The Express. Climate change bombshell as more than 500,000 lives saved due to Britain's mild winters. Uh, I mean, you've been talking about this for quite some time, but uh, so obviously you're not surprised by this, I'm guessing. Well, I mean, I'm really what keeps people alive during the winter. You know, humans aren't suitable for life in most climates on Earth um, without an adequate supply of energy. Um, when there is readily available energy, um, people can stay warm during the winter, um, regardless of any small changes in climate that have occurred over the last 30 years. Um, and, and when energy is not available, like what occurred in Texas last February during that very bad cold snap, people freeze very quickly. So having a reliable source of affordable energy is critical towards keeping people alive. And I suspect that's probably the main reason why there have been fewer winter deaths in, in Britain over the last 20 years, as this report was claiming. So, yeah, but if people didn't have energy, they would be freezing to death. And in the past, people who burned wood or coal um, those generally aren't options anymore. So people are reliant largely on electricity now to keep warm. So keeping the power on, not being dependent on things like wind power is critical towards keeping people alive in the winter. The article uh, goes on to say global warming has been linked to the decrease in mortality as data shows that 509,555 fewer people died in the UK as a result of cold temperatures over the past 20 years. According to the latest data from the Office for National Statistics, or ONS, more than half a million fewer people died in England and Wales as a result of cold weather in the past two decades. Between 2001 and 2020, about 27,000 deaths a year was associated with warm or cold temperatures, which is a decrease of 555,103. A major reason for this decrease was that fewer people died from cold weather during this period. Uh, this is, uh, I think this is in, indeed a climate change uh, bomb because how do the greenies and the, well, let's call them the, uh, the climate change cult, how can, they, how can they argue against this? How can they, how can they actually you know, um, uh, advocate for uh, pe more people dying basically? Yeah, well, it's, it's, you know, part of it may be, like I said, part of it may be due to warmer temperatures. Much more likely it has, it has to do with better heating systems, more availability of energy. Um, I lived in England 50 years ago, and very few people had central heat. Now a lot more people have it, and I suspect that has as much as anything to do with, um, you know, with a decrease in mortality. But ultimately, it comes down to the same thing, that they're trying to shut down the availability of energy 
And when they do that, if they're successful at doing that, they will start, a lot more people are going to start dying during the winter than have been recently. And also, higher energy prices make it so poor people and people on fixed incomes are less able to heat their homes. And so they may have to choose between feeding their children and keeping the house warm. So the, the policies which these climate people anti-energy, anti-carbon dioxide people are pushing are inevitably going to kill a lot of people if they're successful in implementing them. All right. So I was mentioning your videos, uh, Tony, and you do tremendous uh, work with the uh, the videos. Again, the website is realclimatescience.com. Um, so what's, what's happening with you on YouTube? Are you pretty well kicked off that platform or can we still find some of your videos no, on YouTube? No, I think um, I think there's people must be people working at YouTube who like me. It seems like as long as I just stick with climate stuff, they leave me alone. Um, if I if I get into stuff discussing COVID nineteen, that seems to be where they um, that, that's where they get upset when I do that. But they've been I haven't really had any trouble with them. Um, on the climate stuff and, and my recent videos, they've, they've even stopped putting their ridiculous UN propaganda banners on them. So I think someone on YouTube must like them. <laughs> so, All right, so um, we can still see so, yeah. your videos on YouTube and where else can we find your your videos? Um, YouTube.app, um, Rumble, BitChute, Odyssey. Um, I put them on Gab TV, uh, SuperU. I've got them out there on quite a few different platforms. Um, probably most of my stuff goes on YouTube um, because they have a good importer feature. So I, I tend to put a lot more stuff there than on the other platforms, but they're all good. And you, you can always find me on YouTube for now. Um, I, I know there's a lot of pressure on them from Democrats to you know, shut down what they call climate misinformation, which means anybody's telling the truth about climate, basically. But so far, YouTube hasn't actually taken any action to do that. So you think that uh, we, uh, you know, those of us who, well, they call us the, uh, the, you know, the climate change deniers, but do you think we're finally making an impact and that we're finally maybe winning this information war against the, the cult of climate change or the alarmists? It, it's very difficult to tell. Um, I, I think there's a lot of people are aware of the, the rising fuel prices and how that impacts them. Uh, I, th I think a lot of people are aware that, you know, after having heard the same ridiculous scare stories over and over again for decades, that these people aren't telling the truth. I think a lot of people are becoming aware of the fact that the press is very dishonest and a lot of the agendas they're pushing haven't been accurate. Did we lose Tony? Oh, all right. Not sure what happened. Okay. Tony, if you're listening, I'm sorry, we, uh, we lost your audio, but we will pick it up again next week. Tony Heller, the founder at realclimatescience.com, realclimatescience.com. Check out his videos. Still some up on YouTube, new tube, uh, rumble, bit shoot. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? 
President Biden's administration is making major decisions and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. And uh, elsewhere. All right, plenty of show still to come. Hour two, we'll speak with Alex Bezina, the Chief Executive Officer at Prepared Canada Corp. He's also the course director of topics and business at York University. And uh, he wrote an interesting piece in yesterday's Toronto Sun, I believe it was yesterday's, uh, titled Think About What Denying Health Care to the Va- Unvaccinated Means. Indeed, we'll do that. Uh, plus, uh, we'll do another edition of Fact Check This and Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis, U.S. Army retired, will be here uh, to talk about Vladimir Putin and what his intentions are uh, as forces amass on the border with Ukraine. Back with uh, more of The Richard Serrett Show after the news. Stay with us. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. The Richard Serrett Show continues on News Talk Saga 960 AM. Welcome to Hour 2. Coming up towards the tail end of the program, Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis, U.S. Army, retired. Yes, I said lieutenant, not lieutenant, because... He is U.S. Army retired. He's the author of Give Me Liberty, Not Marxism. And uh, Lieutenant Colonel McGinnis will be here to talk about um, Russia and uh, whether or not it is risking all-out war in order to prevent Ukraine from joining NATO. And how much of this can we lay at the feet of Joe Biden? He's weak. And Putin is, uh, among many other things, an opportunist. And America's a- adversaries can detect weakness and take advantage of it. Would Putin have dared to try this under the Trump administration? Yes, he was mercurial, and maybe to America's advantage. We'll also... Uh, Revisit an earlier conversation with Tom Korski from Blacklocks Reporter. Did you know the Bank of Canada has an enemies list? And uh, Tom is on it. So we'll talk to him about that. And another edition of Fact Check This. We'll hear uh, some audio from a, um, a political philosopher from the Netherlands who has been covering the, uh, the massive, massive demonstrations across Europe that have pretty much been ignored here in the uh, the West in terms of our coverage by the mainstream media. Hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions of Europeans protesting against vaccine mandates. Austria now poised, I believe, tomorrow, the, the Austrian parliament to vote 
on making vaccines mandatory for every Austrian over the age of 18. Interesting how history repeats. Tyranny arises in Austria once again. Uh, but first, have we opened the Pandora's box in terms of changing modern biomedical ethics in this country? It would appear so. As um, too many clamor in this country to deny the vaccine-free access to public, public health and civil society. Alex Vezina is the chief executive officer at Prepared Canada Corp. And uh, also teaches um, at York University, disaster preparedness. And uh, wrote recently in the Toronto Sun, a very uh, poignant opinion piece. Alex, welcome to the program. How are you? I'm good. Happy to be here. How are Tell you? Us, very well. Tell us, first of all, a little bit about uh, Prepared Canada Corps. What do you do there? Uh, so we do a bunch of uh, different things. Uh, it's, it's, it's mostly risk management and trying to uh, lessen the amount of bad things that happen because bad things can get expensive. So be that um, uh, so giving people first aid training so that when something horrible happens, um, hopefully your coworker or your loved one will uh, you know, be alive next week or be it um, medical supplies or adjacent to medical supplies for hospitals or businesses. Um, general risk management in, in general, uh, just, I know I said general a few times there, but, um, you need a better business plan to help, uh, deal with the things that life throws at you. Um, I mean, COVID comes to mind for a lot of people pretty fast, but, um, you want to be in business uh, a year from now. Most businesses haven't even heard of business continuity and, um, there aren't a lot of people in this country that know how to do it. So, uh, my, my, my objective and, our objective and the company's objective is to try to uh, help people help themselves uh, as easily as possible, as many as possible. And we find new and innovative ways of doing that. Um, yeah, that's All pretty right. much what we do. So a couple of days ago, you wrote this piece for the, uh, the Toronto Sun. Think about what denying health care to the unvaccinated means. And uh, you say, really, you know, we have we've opened this Pandora's box in terms of changing modern biomedical ethics. So basically say, okay, you want to go there? Let's have the discussion. Let's see what that really looks like. If you want to do that, here, what, here's, here are the implications. But first you say, uh, in doing this, we've made a couple of um, kind of ugly assumptions, haven't we? Yeah. So, um, and just one little correction there. We haven't actually technically opened up Pandora's box yet on this. Uh, because political leadership in general is does not want to do this, um, especially the local GTA mayors have fervently come out saying that the idea of um, outright denying health care to, uh, to, to any given person is abhorrent. So there are calls for it and there are calls for leaders to have that discussion, but especially in Ontario, um, the leaders have said, yeah, no, we're not doing that. Um, but the, the point is the calls are still going out there. So just one thing there I just want to mention, I should sure. give credit given where it's due to local politicians that have frankly been pretty good on this file. Um, but uh, as for the assumptions themselves, 
Um, there are there are two things that you do when you when you kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater, as it were, with uh, with biomedical ethics in this case. Um, the first thing that you do is you make it permissible to trade lives for infrastructure safety, and not just um, subtly but overtly. Uh, so what that what that means is, and I and I explore this a bit in the article. Um, to some degree. Uh, and this is going to get pretty dark pretty fast, but we're talking about saving, you know, thousands of lives over an 100 year period type of decision. So it gets pretty dark pretty fast. So please uh, forgive me for going down here. Um, but um, it is generally permissible strategically to sacrifice an individual life in the in a shorter medium term in the interest of uh, preserving the lives for a million people over 30 years. Most people will make that utilitarian trade. Does that does that resonate? Right, right. It is somewhat Malthusian, uh, but it's also kind of like triage, right? Like, right. We, these people we can't save, or, or they don't have as good a uh, a prospect of surviving. So we'll we'll focus our resources over here. Yeah. So there's something called in in and this is uh, sorry for the technicality, but just so if people are interested in looking it up later and seeing where this comes from, there's something in deontological ethics called the doctrine of doing and allowing. Uh, the difference between um, uh, killing someone and allowing someone to die. And the, the, the best way I've actually seen this explained is it's, it's, it's wrong for Batman to drop Joker off a building, but it's okay to not save Razzle Ghoul, who's off in a train. In oh, one okay. case, you're killing Interesting someone. Analogy. Does that make sense? Like in, yes, in, one case, in one case, you're saving, you're, you're, you're not saving person. In another case, you're actively killing someone. And this um, is an incredibly important ethical concept. But anyways, um, the, the, the point here is that, um, there's a difference fundamentally between you know having a system that's not perfect, which happens to result in some people being less well off, and overtly saying this X group is a lesser than, and because of that, we're going to systemically exclude them overtly. And making that decision results in certain things being okay or permissible, strategically speaking, um, which is a problem because generally, um, frankly, Canadian politicians, I know that we all rag on them a lot, but they're pretty good. Like, like all, relatively speaking, globally, Canadian politicians, um, you know, aren't um, doing the types of things that uh, Russia and China are frequently in the media for. Like, like we're relatively speaking pretty good here. So um, going down that type of slippery slope is, is problematic. So the, the, the big assumption is, once again, the permissibility of overtly trading lives for infrastructure safety. And there's a bunch of different ways that plays out. Got so it. I can go into further if you want, or you can. Yeah, well, you know, uh, we've got about three minutes left in this segment, and uh, can we hold you over and, and into the next segment as well? Do you have time? Sure. Okay, terrific. So we've got a couple minutes here. Let's just begin. Um, so you you kind of lay out a number of strategies that could be considered under this. Yeah. You say all doable, each with its own risks and benefits. Number yep. one is all right. You want to go down to this road? What would this look like? Deny healthcare to the unvaccinated. And you give us the benefits and the risks. Let's yeah. um, let's see how far we can get with this before the uh, the break here. Let's talk. What would be the benefits of denying healthcare to the unvaccinated? Okay, so um, benefit two in particular, you probably want to hold over to the next uh, the next segment because benefit two is going to get a lot of people very very uh, uh, heated. Probably um, keep in mind that when you're looking at the risks and benefits of these strategies, you're looking at them from the the paradigm of assuming that this type of stuff is okay. So um, the main benefit of deny healthcare to the unvaccinated 
number one, um, you you have more hospital capacity because you're burdening less uh, the hospital capacity less. There are less people to treat because you've just eliminated a bunch of people effectively from having to be treated. So there's a whole bunch of positive benefits of that, uh, of just needing less resources in a hospital system. That's the first. Uh, the second thing is, and uh, this is going to sound fairly inflammatory, but with the number of times I have heard this, I think it needs to be said, and I'm going to sanitize it a bit for radio. Um, I have heard numerous times um, for over a year now, uh, people who generally shouldn't be having this type of opinion, um, stating um, F word explicative, um, them, let them die. Yeah. Uh, when speaking about uh, people who are not vaccinated and um, would normally be entitled to treatment in the Canadian medical system. I don't, I don't think that that's a very um, conducive, how to put it, uh, I don't think that's a very productive mindset to have, especially if uh, you're no in kidding. the- No <laughs> so, kidding. Like, so number one. Number two, though, think about it. If, 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 if the assumption is that the people who are unvaccinated are a massive burden on infrastructure and infrastructure must be protected, then- a, a benefit uh, to said strategy would be you wouldn't be dealing with those people anymore if they were dead. Like you, right. you right. Like, and right, when like, yeah, we should point out as you, when you're saying a, a benefit, you're saying through their eyes, if right. they want to go down this ugly road, this is this would be one of their perceived benefits of denying health care to the unvaccinated. Uh, Alex, just hold on. We'll take a quick time out, come back and discuss further. Alex Vesna, chief executive officer at Prepared Canada Corps. He also teaches a course in disaster preparedness at York University. Back with more of our conversation in three minutes. Don't go away. Welcome back to the Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. Alec Vesna stays with us, Chief Executive Officer at Prepared Canada Corps. He also teaches a course in disaster or preparedness at York University. Do I have that right? Is that is that the actual course at York you're teaching, Alex? Um, the, uh, the course would be, uh, business continuity, uh, in the master's program and the program would be disaster and emergency management, but the field gets called 50 different things, uh, all eight, eight, nine days of the week. So don't worry about it. It's fine. Okay. All right. Well, in other words, you're the guy to come to if, uh, when the Shinola hits the fan, you teach us how to, uh, to, to, you know, prepare and, uh, manage it. Uh, so we were talking about, you know, this Pandora's box of biomedical ethics. If we, if we want to go down this road of denying healthcare to the unvaccinated, you know, what are these strategies, what it's gonna look like, what are the risks and benefits? So we were talking about uh, one of the benefits, you're gonna open up capacity, significant ICU and hospital space. Um, the other one, uh, which is, you know, even more sinister is you're gonna remove people from society, uh, you know, who are, I guess, non-compliant, right? Um it wouldn't be viewed that way, to be fair. And I mean, there was a, quite a bit of context provided before the break, to be fair, just, just going into this. Um, it's, it's, it's less about long compliance and it's more about um, the, the safeguarding of infrastructure. So um, there, there is such an impact from, uh, from, from COVID on all infrastructures. It would be, it would be looked at as um, basically an acceptable loss long-term to have less uh, roadblocks from doing things in the future. It's get, it, it, gets, it gets pretty um, dark and pretty uh, involved really fast. Um, yeah, I, but I mean, it's pretty easy to see where this goes, right? I'm, I'm, I'm sure given uh, some of the other content that you've, uh, that you've uh, interacted with, it's not, it's not hard to, uh, 
Oh to, yeah, to go, it, it, yeah. Could, it would go south. I mean, yeah. we, we can learn from history. We've seen the movie before. We know how it ends. Well, um, and, and, and Canadians in yeah. general aren't, as far as in my experience, don't like this, this type of idea anyways. It, it, it's too tribal. Uh, Canadians, as far as I'm, as in my experience, are very um, less, they're, they're less tribalistic than most other cultures and more about help my neighbor, regardless of what they look like or what they believe in. So it just, it doesn't resonate, I think, with the general Canadian identity. So I'm, you know. So let's talk about the risks of such a strategy. So, um, you know, potential for widespread civil unrest is the first one I put in there, which I think is fairly self-evident, get, given what we just talked about. Um, there's, uh, there's the precedent being set with medical ethics, which I think this whole piece kind of uh, helps demonstrate and talks about, which I think is uh, something that shouldn't be um, understated. And this is frankly one of the reasons why uh, when you hear people calling for denying healthcare to the unvaccinated, some of the people, uh, most of the people on the opposite side who are saying, no, 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 we can't do that are doctors. You know, you hear the doctors going, no, they, they're, we have a, a, a universal, no, we don't really have universal healthcare, we have universal health insurance, but we have a, we have a universal emergency medical care effectively system. We treat people because they are sick, we, regardless of what their beliefs are. And doctors agree with this pretty much uniformly. Um, so that, that's the thing. And rewriting what the belief system is of the whole medical system has broad sweeping implications that are almost unforeseeable. Um, and then the other thing, which I don't think a lot of people realize is there is a fairly significant percentage of people who work in, in the trades who are not vaccinated. And if you think that we have a problem with, with infrastructure right now with staffing, um, just wait until you put a policy in place that kills disproportionately tradespeople. Uh, <laughs> then you've got Excellent a real problem. Point. So, Excellent point. So I just, when you're looking at, you know, if, so like, if you're looking through the paradigm of infrastructure is more important than lives and the lives that you are removing under this paradigm also impact infrastructure, it gets, it, it, it's hard to justify strategically, even in the messed up paradigm that you're in. Does that, you know what I'm saying? Yes, Absolutely. Yeah, um, so, we just got a couple minutes here, I, sure. uh, and we're not going to get to everything. And we want to encourage people to, you know, to go to the Toronto Sun and and uh, and read the article. Uh, but the, the the second strategy is to deny ICU healthcare to all COVID only patients, regardless of their vaccine status. Yeah. So, quick version of this: um, this is a bit easier to justify medically. You would uh, because you're not going. Um, down the road of because of a specific belief system, you're doing it based on a specific condition. You could uh, basically reprioritize COVID patients in um, in our, our current triage systems, and you could theoretically do this. Um, it's really difficult, though. You run into one um, the, the the ICU capacity um, uh, uh, benefits. I think are fairly obvious if you just don't treat COVID patients. Uh, you have greater COVID deaths, which is obviously bad but we're in this paradigm, so we're in this paradigm. Um, one of the big risks though, uh, is you're going to have, it's gonna be easy to uh, abuse said, uh, a system like this because anyone who has COVID and something else, you'll have to treat. And it will be relatively easy in our system to uh, give um, people a second condition on paper so that they can be treated if there's a special interest at play. So it's, 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 it's rife for abuse. So once again, there is a serious, not just ethical or, you know, Pandora's box style issue with the strategy. There is a, there's a strategic, there, there's, there's, there's an issue with the strategy itself in, pra- in, in practicality. Right. 
The other risk you, you cite here is uh, exacerbating potential staffing shortages with with some frontline healthcare workers. How would that? Yeah, happen? well, uh, frontline healthcare workers are are not going to like, um, generally speaking, uh, what will appear to be uh, writing off the COVID patients and 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 basically appearing to throw your hands up in the air and give up. They're already fairly burnt out. They're already fairly frustrated with what's going on. And uh, it's over, we're giving up is not gonna resonate well with a lot of people who got into a business to save lives, right? Like that, that's just, right. it's, it's gonna be the last round. Uh, there is a third one, we won't have time for it, but uh, the third strategy be, would be to reach endemic status rapidly to decrease hospital load over the long term. And we'll leave uh, that for our listeners to, uh, to check out for themselves. Uh, then go to Toronto Sun and just search for the, uh, the article, perhaps under your name, Alex Vesna. Think about what denying healthcare to the unvaccinated means. Uh, it is dark as you say, Alex, but uh, it's an important conversation that needs to be had. Thank you so much for this. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. No problem. Thanks for having me. Alex Vesna, Chief Executive Officer at Prepared Canada Corps also teaches uh, courses in uh, business continuity and emergency management at York University. When we come back, another edition of Fact Check This. The Bull Session continues on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. How do we determine what is true, what is false, and what is misleading? Fact Check This. All right. Um, Ella Vlardinger broke is, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, she's uh, from the Netherlands. She's a political philosopher. She's been uh, covering the massive demonstrations across Europe against these vaccine mandates, uh, which are largely being ignored here in the West by our um, so-called fourth estate. uh, She was recently on uh, Tucker Carlson, and he asked her about these massive protests and what's really happening there. There is a massive movement going on in Europe right now of tons of people, hundreds of thousands, millions of people actually, who are very much aware of what's at stake here. These people are aware of the fact that our constitutional rights are being set aside without an end date and that we're heading towards a new system, a tyrannical regime of mass surveillance and control. And this is not just a hunch. This is all part of a bigger plan. This is something people who are watching right now can actually go and look up. Um, what's very important for the American audience to know is, is that we've had this digital COVID pass in place in Europe, which is basically like a QR code on your phone that grants you access to everyday life, like to bars, restaurants, etc. It's completely bind to your vax status. 
And this is all part of a European project issued by the European Commission that is basically surrounded around this idea of a European digital identity. So this will not stay just linked to your vaccination status. This will encompass taxes. This will encompass your medical records apart from your vaccination status, your bank information. So basically, we already have a system in place right now that is very close, or at least reminds us of the beginning phases of a social credit system. We are literally turning into China. All right, again, that was uh, Ella Vlardingerbroek, political philosopher, um, explaining what is happening in Europe and what people are protesting against. They understand what's coming and what's likely to come here if we don't stand up to this as well. And what these QR codes are really designed for long-term, affix your tax documents and your uh, digital currency, all of that will be attached to this QR code, she believes. Um, I had another clip from her, but I'm going to skip that because I want to get to this next one. This is um, a gentleman who's being heralded as one of Israel's top immunologists. Listen to what he says about uh, Israel's, uh, now they're up to their fourth booster, their fourth jab. How's that working out for them? Let's have a listen. Are you now of the view that vaccine passports should be got rid of, phased out, because they're no longer relevant in the Omicron era? I, I Yeah, I tend to think so. And that's also something else. You know, this is, you know, we have to look at the future. We need better vaccines to prevent transmission. I mean, I'm all for a nasal vaccine, for example, that would be able to better mimic the immunity that we get from the disease. And uh, we know, even even if the Omicron actually is causing a lot of, uh, you know, breakthrough, uh, not breakthrough infection, but reinfections, you know, people that were vaccinated and, you know, secondary infections, et cetera, et cetera, we have to take into account that still the virus is better at immunizing than the vaccine. Get that? Did you hear that last part? The virus is better at immunizing than the vaccine. Again, the entire rationale and logic behind a vaccine passport utterly obliterated. And we've known this for quite some time. And finally, of course, today, British Prime Minister Boris Johnson has announced the end of the vaccine passport and vaccine mandates and mask mandates. Uh, but still here in the land that time forgot, we are still languishing under this false narrative. Uh, when we come back, Russia appears to be risking all-out war to prevent Ukraine from joining NATO. Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis, U.S. Army retired, will be here with his analysis. Back with that interview in three minutes. Don't go away. Just having a little chinwag on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. Members of the Russian Council are uh, meeting perhaps as we speak, with NATO officials in Brussels in order to uh, attempt to defuse uh, heightened tensions between Russia and its neighbor, Ukraine. And uh, some are suggesting that Russia is risking and is willing to risk all-out war in order to prevent its neighbor, Ukraine, from joining the NATO alliance. Here with some analysis is Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis, U.S. Army retired author of Give Me Liberty, Not Marxism. Hey, Bob, welcome back to the program. How are you? 
I'm doing well, Richard. Thank you for having me today. My pleasure. Thank you for joining us. Uh, so, at this hour, how would you, um, I guess, estimate the the odds that that Russia will risk a full scale invasion of the Ukraine? I put it about 50-50. You had uh, Blinken, the Secretary of State, over in Kiev today. Then he flew off to Berlin to consult with them, and then down to Geneva to meet with Sergei Lavrov, the Foreign Minister of Russia. Now, the talks that we had a week or so ago uh, didn't go the way that Putin wanted. Uh, he, of course, wants guarantees from the U.S. that uh, we will not welcome in uh, Ukraine and Georgia into NATO, and I just in the last hour, Mr. Biden has said from the White House that uh, he's not going to buy that. Um, and of course, uh, Mr. Putin doesn't want strategic weapons, uh, in other words, synonyms for uh, nuclear weapons in the eastern part of Europe. And uh, that's something that perhaps Mr. Biden indicated he's willing to talk about. Now, meanwhile, of course, for months, We've had a significant buildup on the eastern part of Ukraine, on the Russian side, of maybe 100,000 troops, um, many, maybe 1,200 different tanks, 2,900 infantry fighting vehicles, and 1,600 pieces of artillery. Now, the latest thing to change here is that the Russians are rushing from uh, the east in Siberia uh, thousands of troops and armored vehicles to, to an exercise in Belarus that they say will take place somewhere between 10 and 20 February. Uh, they call it Allied Resolve, and of course uh, the president of uh, Belarus, Zashenko, argues that this is really all about just reassuring one another, uh, thwarting a rebel foreign aggression. Uh, of course, that's not the case, but uh, that's spin. And so we are in a, a tense situation. I think that Mr. Putin uh, is serious. Uh, if you go back uh, a year ago when he was making the State of the Nation address, uh, he said that we will reunite the Russo-Ukrainian state, which includes what we're talking about here, whether or not Ukraine uh, will have an, its will and join NATO or not, and Putin intends that to, the answer to be it's not going to happen. Back in 2014, of course, Russia annexed Crimea from Ukraine and since then has supported, um, I don't know, a pro-Russian uprising in the east of the country. There are many Russian-speaking um, minorities in the eastern part of Ukraine, and, and Putin has has been very uh, willing to support them. Um, is 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 that likely his his strategy here would be to go in and just basically maybe carve out a little bit of eastern Ukraine and and uh, uh, welcome the Russian speaking minority back into the Russian fold. Well, certainly Donbas, uh, the eastern part of Ukraine, is. Uh, Rush, Russia files, very pro-Russia, and they've had a insurgency for the last seven and a half years. Back in 2014, as you remember, after the Sochi uh, Olympics, uh, Mr. Putin decided, well, it's, it's a good time to invade Crimea. So they go down and they seize all of Crimea, 
Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. And then, of course, they, they strike up that insurgency that's been going on since that particular time. Now, uh, this past week, there were all sorts of rumors about the creation of a pretext. In other words, there were operatives, probably from the Wagner Group, which is an oligarch's, you know, mercenary soldiers that are good friends with Vladimir Putin, and they go all over the world stirring up trouble. And so likely uh, they sent a, a host of these people in there to go after uh, perhaps Ukrainian forces, or to create some other catastrophic situation that would invite uh, Russia to come in as a as a welcomed hero to save the day. So these are all bits and pieces. Meanwhile, what the Russians did uh, back in 08 with you know the Republic of Georgia, and they did in 14, was they ramped up cyber attacks, and we've seen. 70 Ukrainian government websites attacked in the last few days. And so all the pieces to hybrid warfare are really coming to fruition. And I would suspect that now that you have this massive troops on the east, you have within the week or so, you're going to have a massive troops that have come out of Siberia ostensibly participating in allied resolve in Belarus, right to the north, right on the border, that it would be very easy for Mr. Putin to say go, and then these forces would converge, and everything from Kiev to the east would all of a sudden become, much like Crimea has, become a part of uh, the, I suppose, what Moscow is going to call an extension of its territories to the west. Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis, U.S. Army retired author of Give Me Liberty, Not Marxism. We'll take a quick timeout, Bob, come back and discuss further. Back with more of our conversation on a possible Russian invasion of Ukraine in three minutes. Don't go away. Let's rejoin the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. Is Russia risking all-out war to prevent Ukraine from joining NATO? Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis, U.S. Army retired, stays with us. He's the author of Give Me Liberty, Not Marxism. So uh, at, at the risk, uh, Bob, of casting myself in the role of a Putin apologist, let me just, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not even playing devil's advocate here. I think there, there's some truth to this, that, that Putin is, in some ways, I think he's being seen as standing up to the woke West. And uh, he, he certainly has his champions here in, in, in North America as well. So I, I just want to read this. This is a translation of a recent speech he made 
uh, Putin, that is. The advocates of so-called social progress believe they are introducing humanity to some kind of a new and better consciousness. Godspeed, hoist the flags, as we say, go right ahead. The only thing I want to say now is that their prescriptions are not new at all. It may come as a surprise to some people, but Russia has been there already. After the 1917 revolution, the Bolsheviks, relying on the dogmas of Marx and Engels, also said that they would change existing ways and customs, and not just political and economic ones, but the very notion of human morality and the foundations of health of a healthy society. The destruction of age-old values, religion, and relations between people, up to and including the total rejection of family, we had that too, encouragement to informed unloved ones, all this was proclaimed progress, and, by the way, was widely supported around the world back then and was quite fashionable, same as today. By the way, the Bolsheviks were absolutely intolerant of opinions other than theirs. Uh, what, what do you make of those statements by by Putin uh, and, and those who believe, and I, I think, again, there's some truth to this, that he is really standing up against things that you're railing against in your new book, Give Me Liberty, Not Marxism. Absolutely, and I've been saying this for years, Richard, uh, in Alliance of Evil, I talked about why uh, Putin and Xi in China uh, who are authoritarians and totalitarians, but they do represent a certain set of values uh, that resonate, uh, certainly in the United States, where I am, uh, with people that are pro-family, pro-faith, and so forth, uh, and against uh, the woke crowd, the progressives, uh, the people that would throw out God and throw out you know, patriotism and embrace you know, some radical you know, wokeness that uh, is really tearing at the fabric of societies across the world. So, you know, Putin, interestingly, is a very savvy guy. He understands uh, where, uh, how to pull the heartstrings of people, how to rally nationalism, much the same as uh, uh, President Xi is in doing in China with his call for nationalism and reunification and so forth. So uh, these things are, are not surprising. We're in an ideological uh, war across the world. Uh, and I believe that uh, Putin and Xi are working together very closely with others, uh, trying to rally and to form a new world order. Uh, they don't like what the West is becoming. And a lot of people in the West don't like what they're seeing either. Well, wouldn't it be better then to have Putin on side? And didn't we have that opportunity after the fall of the Berlin Wall? Weren't promises made that, that NATO would not encroach uh, towards Moscow? And, and, and isn't Putin right not to want NATO in Ukraine? I, I tend to agree with you, Richard. You know, I was on a, I was skiing last week, not in Washington like I am now, and I was riding up a gondola with uh, a Russian, and uh, she said, "Well, uh, who's the worst enemy of the United States, uh, China or Russia?" And I said, "China," uh, and we talked about Putin, and we ta said, "You know, he does represent things that um, I don't like, but he also represents things that I support." Uh, and so I think that a lot of us have to come to the realization that when Putin, the former KGB guy who I looked across the west-east you know, line there in Germany many years ago, uh, he, he, he's trying to pull back the, the idea of the Russo-Ukrainian state. He doesn't want a bunch of nuclear weapons from the west sitting on his border. He doesn't want 
uh, the breadbasket of Russia, Ukraine, uh, to become a, a conduit of Western wokeism. You know, so we do have an ideological battle going here, and he feels insecure. He wants a buffer. He doesn't want Georgian wine to go cheap into Europe and more expensive into Russia. He has really you know, winnable ideas, uh, and I'm afraid sometimes in the West we don't quite understand uh, where he's coming from because he has a great tradition. He has a long history all the way back to the the, the czars and so forth of the past, and the Russian people are resilient and they're very proud. And unfortunately, we in the West you know, don't study our history and don't understand world politics. Finally, how much of this can we lay at the feet of a very weak and feeble President Biden? Is this kind of opportunism that Putin is, you know, he's testing, he's pushing the boundaries because he perceives correctly that Joe Biden is incredibly weak? This would not be happening if Mr. Trump were president of the United States. That's my you know, opinion. But, you know, yes, uh, after the debacle of Afghanistan, after Mr. Biden has lost in the U.S. Senate on his key legislation, after Mr. Biden doesn't control his own borders, no wonder our allies are looking and wondering whether or not this guy's going to last another year, much less three more. And so, yes, uh, we're going to see some very tenuous situations evolve in the next coming weeks, perhaps in Ukraine. Uh, but I think we also need to look to the Far East and consider what President Xi is going to do after the Olympics with regard to Taiwan, because those implications are there. And I think there's collaboration. I do believe, and I've been saying this, as you know, Richard, for years, that we're in the midst of a new Cold War. It's a very different Cold War, but a very real one, and one that is dangerous for the West. How do we get a copy of Give Me Liberty, Not Marxism, Bob? Well, it's on Amazon. It's in all the major bookstores around the country. Uh, I invite people. It's what's going on today. It's written as if you know, the last year is just a, a prelude to some not-so-good times in the coming future. Always appreciate your insights, Bob. Thank you so much. Thank you, Richard. Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis, U.S. Army, retired. Again, the book is Give Me Liberty, Not Marxism. Uh, that's it for me. My thanks to Jody, Jacob, and Brandon. Be well. Find joy. Hold fast. Be kind, but push back. I'll speak with you tomorrow at 4. God willing, don't be late. Until then, I remain unbowed, unbent, unbroken. That's it. That's all. For more Richard Serrett Show, podcasts, blogs, and other stuff, go to saga960am.ca. Stop talking past each other and start talking with each other. We'll see you tomorrow afternoon at 4 on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960am. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African Americans. The clock is ticking. 
Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy.